You're listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information, visit unitariansa.org.au. gather around this flame as a community, searching for the truth and caring for each other. The flame can represent liberty, illumination, inspiration, and the guidance that is always available to us. The Beatitudes from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Blessed is the one with a pure heart who does not slander. Blessed are those who hold to wisdom's precepts and do not keep to ways of iniquity. Blessed are those who rejoice in her and do not burst forth in ways of folly. Blessed are those who seek her with pure hands and do not pursue her with a treacherous heart. Blessed is the one who has attained wisdom and walks in the law of the Most High. You direct your heart towards her ways and restrain yourself by her corrections and always take delight in her chastisements. You do not forsake her when you see distress, nor abandon her in time of strain. You will not forget her when you are afraid, and will not despise her when your soul is afflicted. For always you will meditate on her, and in your distress you will consider her. You will place her before your eyes, so as not to walk in the ways of folly. Dead Sea Scrolls, the discovery of the scrolls was the most significant archaeological find of the 20th century. They provide an insight into pre-Christian Judaism, the world in which Yeshua grew up. Last week I sought to compress a year's worth of lectures into 20 minutes as I described the various interpretations of the life and teaching of Yeshua 2,000 years ago. This week's reflections are a kind of prequel to that story. The land south of Jericho and east of Jerusalem, just inland from the northern end of the Dead Sea, is full of dry, craggy hills. The hilltops themselves are riddled with caves. In that area, there are today some ruins known as Qumran. A Jewish religious community lived there 2,000 years ago, perhaps over a period of two or three hundred years. 
Hundreds of the scrolls of this community were stored in nearby caves. It's not as if the caves were a library for the community because there was a lack of order in the manner in which they were deposited. They may have been transported there and left there in a hurry for safekeeping, quite possibly because of the Roman army marauding through the area after the Jewish revolt of 66 AD. In 1947, a Bedouin shepherd came across a number of scrolls and he reported them to the authorities. Thus began a twisted tale of further discoveries, academic rivalry, black market purchases and intense speculation. Even the Unitarians became involved at one point. The All Souls Unitarian Church of Manhattan in 1957 paid 5,000 US dollars to a Jordanian dealer for a copy of Deuteronomy, a book common to both Jewish and Christian scripture. And the copy remains in a museum in Israel. There were not only hundreds of scrolls, there were also thousands of fragments of scrolls which needed to be painstakingly connected where possible, like a jigsaw puzzle. And there I have one of the members of the congregation trying to put them together. Um, I'm not sure if you could guess who that was. Uh, almost all the scrolls were written in Hebrew, although there are examples of Aramaic and the Greek language of the day. Almost all of the scrolls were leather, although some were on papyrus, and there is a unique copper scroll. Mystery and speculation intensified in relation to the implications of what the scrolls revealed, because it took literally decades for anything like the majority of the scrolls to be interpreted and published. Apart from such problems as the fact that some scrolls were written in code, the challenge of assembling scholars of sufficient expertise, and the genuinely painstaking process of piecing together the thousands of fragments, those who had custody of most of the scrolls adopted a deliberate policy of not releasing even copies of the original Hebrew scrolls until the work of translation had been substantially completed. I can remember in the 1980s when I began reading spiritual works that there was this big secret about the Dead Sea Scrolls. The lack of transparency allowed allegations of a cover-up and allegations, speculation that the scrolls would somehow undermine Christianity. And up until then, I had only been interested in the scrolls you could get from the bakery. <laughs> um, the scientific consensus is that the Qumran community were known as Essenes. The Essenes were referred to in works of historians of that era, including Josephus, who also referred to Jesus. The community was ascetic and apocalyptic. They were familiar with the mainstream temple worship at Jerusalem, but they deliberately stayed apart. They considered themselves Orthodox Jewish, but sought to establish for themselves higher standards than they observed in the rest of society. The language of the scrolls only refers to the male gender. Some of the skeletons unearthed at the Qumran site, however, were of women and children. And there were references in the scrolls as to how to behave within marriage. A likely hypothesis is that the Qumran community was mostly a monastic male community, but there may have been followers of the same teaching living in segregated communities there within Jerusalem and in various Jewish towns. So what was written in the scrolls? They can be placed into three broad categories. Over a third of the scrolls set out matters which are not religious in nature. 
There's a very extensive set of rules for the community, and I'll come back to some examples in a moment. Other works in this category deal with astrology, agricultural matters, and other practical matters. Secondly, almost the entire Jewish Bible, the Tanakh, is represented with multiple copies of most of the books. You may now appreciate the significance of the find for scholars of early Jewish belief. We have here original works representing what people believed 2,100 years ago. Later copies of Jewish scripture can be compared to the originals in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Before the Dead Sea Scrolls were brought to light, the earliest copies of the Jewish scriptures were about a thousand years more recent. By way of contrast, of Christian works, whether as part of the accepted canon of books or otherwise, we have not one single original letter or book. Most of what we see in the Christian Bible today is based on holy books which have been copied many, many times over, which obviously creates the risk, from a historical point of view, of errors by copyists or deliberate adjustments to cert the church dogma as it developed. Thirdly, there are a variety of other Jewish holy writings. Some of these are purported biographies of ancient Jewish figures, for example, the father of Moses. If you want to know what he was uh, chatting about, you can have a read of that. There are some scary apocalyptic visions, end of the world, that sort of thing. On a more pleasant note, there are, there are some hymns and examples of what is called wisdom literature, which was a favourite genre of the time among Jewish believers. And you heard something of that in the reading today. Both the ancient Jewish teachers and Greek philosophers personified wisdom as a device to morally educate their audience, as we heard. Wisdom was, of course, personified as a woman. And now let's hear some more music to have a, a little break. Thank you, Robin. Let me go back to the non-religious works in the Dead Sea Scrolls to give you some examples. The Essenes were a very strict community. You could call them fundamentalist. Their morality was black and white. From their religious writings, you might think that they saw everyday life as a constant battle between good and evil. They referred to themselves as sons of light in opposition to the sons of darkness out in the wider world. In addition to the rigours of the monastic life, with the physical labour of agricultural work, copying scripts and many hours of religious study each day, there was a challenging probation period for anyone wishing to join the community at Qumran. While under probation, the novice couldn't join in the communal meal. After two or three years, if sufficient devotion was demonstrated and interrogation of the novice's beliefs proved satisfactory, the novice could then give up all of his personal possessions to the community and become a fully-fledged member. 
The Quran community were entirely communistic when it came to property and eating meals together. In terms of status and control, however, a strict hierarchy developed presided over by three priests and twelve elders. Initially, it seems that the community was founded by a religious leader they called the teacher of righteousness, who was persecuted by, quote, the wicked priest. And there has, been so, there has been speculation about the identity of these figures, including a theory that Yeshua could have been the teacher of righteousness, but then some have also said Yeshua could have been the wicked priest. Well, it sells books, you know. So. But the consensus of scholarly opinion is that these references are to Jewish religious figures in conflict in the 2nd century BC. Now, before leaving this topic of the non-religious works, I must refer to the most sensational of the Dead Sea discoveries, a scroll made out of copper. It is astonishing enough that someone hammered out a lengthy work in copper. But it's not just the material that is astonishing. What is written is nothing less than an inventory of immense hidden stores of treasure, silver and gold, literally tons of it, spread out in diverse hiding places in the region. The scroll has had a lot of people excited getting their Indiana Jones gear on, but no one has come up with the treasure yet. Or at least if they have, they haven't told anyone. As I said, uh, apart from the accepted Jewish scriptures, although what was accepted was still somewhat fluid in the century before Yeshua, there was a variety of other Jewish religious writings. There were many hymns and prayers comparable to the Psalms that you would know, what Christians call the Old Testament. Many of the scrolls offered commentary and interpretation of Jewish scripture. Another type of work in this category is the wisdom literature. The intent is always moral education, both encouraging and terrifying in equal measure. Probably the biggest leap from our cultural perspective is the apocalyptic mindset. Then again, maybe not. When I was at high school in the 1970s, my mates and I talked about the threat of nuclear war, which could wipe us all out. These days, the shadow hanging over us is climate change. We talk about the threat of extinction. And there's genuine anxiety, not least among our young people, that our continuing excesses will lead to our downfall. But the differences between these pessimistic views of our future today and the Essene community is that a nuclear war or a drastic climate change sees us all done for, whether we put things in the right recycling bin or not. But the Essenes believed, however, that if they stayed perfectly pure and followed strictly the law of the Torah, the Jewish scriptural rules of food and behaviour, they would be saved when the end of the world crashed down around them. I wonder how this way of thinking came about. Well, there are several examples in the ancient religions of the Middle East of a cosmic battle at the beginning of creation. The Babylonian god Marduk had to battle Tiamat to create order out of chaos. The Jewish god Yahweh had to create order out of chaos and battle Leviathan, the monster of the seas. This was the mythic beginning of the Earth's history. Within Judaism in the pre-Christian era, there evidently developed a line of thinking that the chaos of the world had not been resolved. There was an opposing force at work in the universe, whom you may know as Satan. 
Satan from the Hebrew and uh, Aramaic shaitan, uh, meaning opposer or adversary. This old fellow started as the villain in that very old story told in the book of Job. His performance won him an enduring role later in Christian theology. The sons of darkness had to be finally defeated before the righteous could finally enjoy the peace and order which they craved. There had to be a showdown. The cosmic battle at the beginning of history was being envisaged at the end of history. After God wins that final battle, everything is well forever for the righteous who survive. So I come to my final point. There are parallels between the Essene community and the early Jerusalem Christians, suggesting a connection between the two, even if it's just a shared environment of heated apocalyptic expectation. There are similarities of language between the scrolls and the early Christian texts. For example, in both cases, Messiah figures are referred to as the Son of God and followers are called Sons of Light. Secondly, in both cases, the Essenes and the early Christians considered themselves the most devout Jews and they maintained their fervour based on the expectation of an imminent arrival of the Kingdom of God on earth. They both considered themselves living out a stage in history foretold by the ancient Jewish prophets. Both groups considered themselves as following, quote, the way, unquote, and living with, quote, the Holy Spirit, unquote. There are some quite specific comparisons which can be made. There's a document in the scrolls titled The Prayer of Nabonidus, describing a Jewish exorcist curing a paralysed man and forgiving his sins, bearing a very close comparison to the story of Yeshua healing a paralytic in Capernaum. A scroll fragment titled Resurrection describes the Messiah as one who, quote, liberates the captives, restores sight to the blind, straightens the bent. Following on another quote, he will heal the wounded and revive the dead and bring good news to the poor. Compare this to what Yeshua is quoted as saying in the book attributed to Matthew, chapter 9. Quote, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. The point here is that many Christians in the world today, without these Jewish cultural references, may think of Yeshua as bearer of a unique message, initiating a new religion in the world. In fact, his language, his actions, and his teaching of an end time, quoting the book of Matthew, chapter 24, there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world. And it describes wiping out great swathes of humanity in divine retribution. All this reflected the language and teaching of the Essenes. Now, I don't say whether it's right or wrong. Uh, some people have suggested that Jesus was an Essene. It's very hard to establish. What we do know is that there are many paths to God. There are many paths to inner peace. And it is not for us to judge no matter how well educated we are. So I hope these reflections on the Dead Sea Scrolls give you some additional perspective on an element of the Jewish faith which is relevant to the early Christian experience.
hope you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.